We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of Chicago. I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, you know, don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back! All right. Welcome to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Brian and Spencer on this Sunday morning at 9 a.m. I uh, text some dedication here as we all lost an hour of sleep. We've got our coffees in hand, but here we are getting ready to talk about the Hornets. Before we get into the pod, I wanted to remind you guys of two things. Uh, one, we'd love a rating and review on Apple Podcast or Spotify, and number two, if you haven't uh, listen to our latest podcast, go back and listen to that with PJ Washington, had the opportunity to get him on the phone and talk to him for about 10 minutes. Very manageable listen. I know it was pretty quick, but uh, a lot of information in there as well. So for this episode, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to recap the game against New Orleans. It'll be, you know, seven, 10 minutes tops recapping that game from Friday night. Uh, and then we got a couple listener questions and some topics that were presented to us that we'll talk about that are kind of on people's minds right now. So the Hornets now stand at 33 and 35, a couple of games below 500. They have a chance to get to 34 and 35 uh, Monday night against the Thunder, but just kind of like our quick observations and performances uh, from Friday night. One thing that I you know, wanted to note, we saw quite a bit of zone uh, defense from the Hornets throughout the entirety of the game uh, versus the Pelicans which makes some sense because New Orleans doesn't take a ton of three-point shots. They're not really that efficient either. So, And then also, too, the ball movement was fun to watch. A lot of drive and kick, pushing the ball off turnovers, pushing the ball off misses, pushing the ball off makes, getting the Pelicans out of position as much as possible. And I thought LaMelo was a huge factor in this area. Charlotte had 41 assists on Friday night, which actually ties Memphis as the only other team to surpass 40 assists uh, on a single game uh, this season. Spencer, just kind of general team observations from Friday night. What what did you notice from this much-needed win? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the Hornets got the game to the pace that they want to, you know, playing in transition. Um, I thought that, you know, they got to 50-50 loose balls. 
Um, you know, they seem to want it uh, in, in that case. But uh, the defense, for the most part, I thought was pretty engaged. You know, a lot playing with live hands, a lot of deflections, steals, like I said, getting them out into the open floor. And, you know, we all know when the Hornets can speed the game up, get stops off defensive glass and, and create turnovers, you know, they're pretty deadly in transition uh, and the ball pops around. So, you know, their defense definitely leads to their offense. Uh, you brought up the assists stat, which was very uh, impressive. And it backed up the eye test. I mean, the ball was flying around against New Orleans, not only transition, but, you know, that New Orleans team outside of like Herb Jones, uh, they, they struggle to keep the Najee Marshall's pretty good defender. Like they don't have a lot of guys kind of like Charlotte's problem. They can keep the ball in front. They don't have a lot of resistance on the basketball. So Charlotte was able to drive, kick and get into their stuff. Miles Bridges was awesome. Uh, he had some plays in that game, passes, and I think I put the step back three on Twitter. We've seen this from him, but, it, you know, if a shot like that could ever become somewhat consistent, I mean, it, it really, <laughs> there is no ceiling for his offensive game. And then, you know, I, maybe we can talk about him later in the in the show, but I just remain impressed by Isaiah Thomas. He's not killing the Hornets when he's out there. He's, he's, he's brought the offensive jolt, and yeah. – they have seemed to keep water out of the boat defensively when he's in there so far. So I've, I've really thought he's added a steadying presence um, to the team. And I hope that the Hornets can figure out a way to keep him around for the season. I think he's proven that he can add enough value uh, to this roster as they, they make a push at the play in. Um, so yeah, th- those are some general thoughts. And probably lastly, Rozier just continues to, I mean, the dude's hair is on fire right now. He's just – he's on a heater. Uh, you can tell by the way he just pounds the rock, gets into his, his herky-jerky bag of moves, um, and he's, he's just seeing it go in right now. So that's fun and very helpful for, for the Hornets. Yeah. My uh, my cliff notes were uh, – Spencer said it with Bridges, and I think when he's – like when the shot-making is that good for him, it – A – the Hornets just become a much more dangerous half court offense, which is big, but it also, it like, it gets you, it gets you dreaming a little bit about like what this guy could be. You know what I mean? I thought once again, um, his playmaking when they went to sort of those inverted ghost pick and roll looks was really good. And then even there, even some possessions down the stretch of that game where they just went five out or four round, you know, four round one with bridges in the middle of the court and had him just kind of like isolate, right. And just like pick a side and, and drive and make up, make a reads and make a play. And, you know, it, it felt that felt to me like, um, you know, like what the Clippers would have done with Blake Griffin in 2014, like that, that kind of like, all right, we're giving Chris Paul some time off the ball. Like here you go, you're big enough to make up and you can make plays in the middle, like, like go for it. Um, but I thought that was impressive. I really liked the um, the stretch of play to start the second quarter with Isaiah Thomas and Lamelo Ball. Mm-hmm. I thought those guys playing together and getting Lamelo into like an off ball role, like starting him off ball and then bringing him on ball was nice and kind of I don't know, man. It had me feeling a little and just seeing De- like also seeing Devonte Graham out there. It had me thinking a little bit, like it had me sort of feeling. Uh, nostalgic for last season when those two guys could play together and how you could work them in tandem and, and play them together. And um, alas, but I thought they just did some, I thought they did some cool stuff scheme wise with LaMelo to start the second quarter. They put him at the elbow and then ran him in a, into a ball screen. They used him as a screener 
they used him on their like their horn slice action, which they usually use for Terry Rozier, but they used it with Lamelo, and then they went into a middle ball screen. So I thought all of that was was great. Is that is that where he sets the back screen on the uh, the guy at the uh, the horns on the elbow? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's the horns again. It's usually Rozier. They usually run that for Terry to get him coming off a pin down against drop, right? Like he'll set the slice screen, like the little like back screen slice screen, yep. and then he'll immediately come off a, up. Yep. a pin down from the five. But instead with the mellow and PJ was, I think PJ was playing center. And instead yes. they just had him flow into a, a, like a pick and roll off of it, which I thought was um, pretty cool and good, a good usage of playing those two guys together. Um, I thought like some trick or treat passing from PJ Washington in this game. He had this one stretch. I thought he had a, there was a the like transition like touch pass he had where like Lamelo kicked it ahead to him, and PJ had to like catch it like almost underneath the basket like in midair and then immediately like dropped it back. I think to Harold maybe yes. he was running the yes. court for for a finish that was pretty awesome. And then like a minute or two before that, there was one of those like great ball movement possessions Charlotte had in this game where they swung it side to side. Probably four or five guys touched it. PJ had it for probably like less than half of a second, but he caught it in the dunker spot and immediately just like redirected it to Harold for a dunk. That was, that was really nice. And then, but then like, you know, a handful of possessions after that, he had a really weak pass that got deflected and, and led to a, a turnover and a, and a run out for new Orleans. Um, Cody Martin. Yes. Was big in this game. Obviously, um, you know, he gave them a, you know, a burner, someone to throw to in transition and, um, you know, four assists in the half court, zero turnovers. I thought his like connect is like the way he was connecting actions for Charlotte was really good. I thought he had a couple nice cut passes in this game. And then the the last guy I did want to highlight real quickly was Montrez Harold, who seven of nine in this game, uh, nine, uh, seven of nine shooting, uh, uh, ended up with six rebounds too. um, I have been like, hey, I think we've seen what he's been able to do to for Charlotte's pick and roll offense. I think that's you know, like even if he isn't like directly scoring, his ability to force rotations on the backside has just opened up some nice stuff for the Hornets. But I've also, and I'd be curious to know what what you have, if you guys have what you guys have thought about them doing this stuff. Um, like they'll, they'll like they'll play through him at the elbow too. You know, like they'll throw it to Montrez. At the free throw line, at the elbow, they'll run splits, they'll run cutters off of him. And, um, you know, I don't think he's, like, an amazing passer, but he can be, like, a bit of a hub in those scenarios, too. And just, he's, um, it's, it's, I mean, I was, like, I was walking around my house yesterday and I was thinking about this, and it's, like, if you were to build sort of, like, the ideal, like, backup big man scorer type, he he's, like, really, like, he really checks like kind of the, all the boxes you would want minus, I guess like a three point shot, you know what I mean? But it's like his ability to roll short roll into like pass from the elbows is, um, I mean, he just is like a bench offense into like to himself. And I know he has been for That's nothing new. Like he kind of has been that for a couple of years now, but, um, yeah, I was just, was just impressed with, uh, with Harold's pick and roll game. And uh, like some of the some of the variety they get with him on the court because he can facilitate from the elbows like Plumley, but he also threatens more as like a downhill rim pressure point too. So I, I kind of like that that combination. And um, anyways, I'd be curious to know what Richie, what you thought of the game, and, and what both of you guys have sort of thought about 
um, Harold's role this season. Yeah, that's that's the difference right there. You just mentioned it in terms of the Plumley aspect, where Plumley doesn't always look to get downhill. I think Montrez Harrell, yes, he can be a hub at the elbow, the block, or whatever. But if he doesn't see a dribble handoff or if he doesn't see something that's open, he's going to turn the corner and try to get pressure at at the at the rim. And I I thought like you uh, had a really good game against New Orleans, especially in that second quarter where him and Lamella were working well together with the pick and roll partnership there. He had an and one uh, in that quarter. He gets an alley oop. He drew a charge in that second quarter as well. And this came when Plumley got his third foul. So they needed Montrez to come in as that backup and provide that energy. And he did an awesome job with that. So, yeah, I would agree, Brian. I think he's a, a perfect backup center for this team. And I, I like the mold that he is built in. And uh, to your point about passing, I, I think that's an underrated part of his game. Uh, I think there was a game earlier this year, I want to say Detroit, where I clipped a couple of his short roll passing decision making, where he hit Miles Bridges on some baseline cuts. Like that is something that I did not realize was a part of his game. Um, And you're starting to see a little bit more of that as a guy that can not only be a hub, a guy that can be an alley-oop partner, a pick and roll partner, but a guy that also too can set that high, high screen get into space and make a read around the free throw line as well. So yeah, Montrez has been impressive for the most part uh, in his stint here in Charlotte. Yeah. I I mean, I totally agree. You guys covered it. You know, I noticed yesterday a few occasions, you know, New Orleans started trapping Rozier or keeping him on the sideline and, you know, Harold's ability to just catch it in the middle of the floor, like you said, get downhill or just keep it moving uh, as a, as a good passer, not an amazing one. He's really good if the Hornets were able to, you know, if they were to, to get into a playoff series where for two, three, four straight games, you know, you're seeing a guy like Rozier on the second side start to get trapped. Um, Harold's going to play a lot, like regardless of who the matchup is, you know, Embiid or, you know, Daniel Tice. Like he, he's going to have to play a lot because it's the only way that Charlotte's going to, you know, be able to keep the offense flowing. You know, I, I even noted yesterday he made – a few like put his body on the line kind of plays and he took a charge um, yeah. in New Orleans, which is something I think something small that could go a really long way as a guy who's not going to protect the rim um, is not going to add a, a layer of pick and roll resistance. Really? I mean, he's going to drop, but putting his body on the line, getting on the floor more often, just anything on the margins that we can unlock from his energy to give the Hornets a little bit, something more defensively. Uh, as I anticipate, they probably are going to play a lot more zone, especially in a playoff series. Like those are the kind of things that he can do defensively that I think I've been a little disappointed since he's gotten to Charlotte. He's been really good, but I, I don't think his effort on that end has, has been awesome, um, which probably is, is feeding off the rest of the guys yeah, <laughs> that I he's playing so. with. <laughs> I think you so. know, it's a little contagious, but yeah. I mean, look, generally Harold is, a really, really skilled offensive big who can play yeah. through just about any contact. So, but BG, yeah, I mean, I, I have, I guess, noticed it, but I haven't really given it like much thought about the volume of, hey, we're going to play through him at the elbow. I like it from the standpoint of, yes, he can get downhill, he can get to the rim. Hornets don't have a lot of guys that can do that. Uh, but yeah, I, I wonder about. You know, teams just saying, "Fine, we're going to stay at home. Like, like we're not leaving yeah. the shooters. Good luck, Carol. We'll try to go through whoever. Yeah. Like, that's where I think it could dry up for Charlotte. But it's better yeah. than 
no option, which is what they've had at that position <laughs> from an offensive perspective it, for, for quite a few years now. It, it definitely seems like more of a regular season tool than it does in the playoffs, right? Where teams are scouting and yeah, they're just going to say, yeah, we'll live with whatever Montrez wants to do in the middle of the floor, like inside of 16 feet. But yeah, we're not going to, we're going to like make sure we bottle up all these split cuts and, and stay on the shooters and, and uh, yeah, just see if Harold can, can uh, can beat you. Um, I did also want to, I know we're talking Hornets, but I did want to mention just like, you know, this is obviously a pretty like skeleton crew right now for the Pelicans. No Brandon Ingram, no CJ McCollum. Um, and like, I, I wonder how this game would have gone if, if it's like but New Orleans have been playing really well, like until like a couple of days before this game, you know, and yeah. um, Charlotte certainly got them at the right time. But I did want to say I was really, I mean, I liked Herb Jones a lot in college and I liked him a lot as a prospect a season ago, but I thought Herb Jones was just like awesome in this game. And it's cool. It was cool to see like him getting to play on the basketball a little bit more, you know, eight assists in this game. They put him into some pistol action and let him be a ball handler and like a pick and roll guy. And um, obviously, like defensively, he's incredible. And the dunk he had on top of um, Plumley, Plumley was was obviously just nasty. But he was awesome, and it was good to see uh, see former ACC guy and Raleigh Durham try you know carry uh, tri- research triangle guy Trey Murphy have a like his best game as a pro too. I mean, of course, it came against the Hornets, but. Um, still good to see Trey get up 20 shots and score 30, whatever points. Like, uh, I know there's some Pelicans people that have wanted to see him play more this year, but, uh, good. So anyway, it's good to see Trey have a sort of like a breakout game, even if it did come against uh, the Hornets. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Let's go to the player of the game. This was a suggestion from someone on the survey that we put out a couple weeks ago uh, when we do these game recaps to maybe bring up a player of the game. And I think that Miles Bridges was actually awarded the player of the game by the Hornets on Twitter. But I'm not going to go with Miles. Uh, it felt like a lot of his points came when the game was in hand. I'm going to give the, the player of the game to LaMelo. It just felt like he made the biggest impact on this game when he was on the court on both ends. Um, he had a couple of those like free safety steals uh, leading to transition offense. Uh, he was his like, you know, usual self on offense with his distribution. And I, I know that like not all assists are like created equal, but I went back and watched all of his nine assists on Friday and all but maybe like one or two, like his movement, his driving ability led directly to getting his teammates open look. So sometimes an assist is like you just making a swing pass and someone pulling up for three. But LaMelo was getting into the teeth of the defense, causing the team to collapse and him kicking it out and, and creating opportunities for others. So I'm going to give the player of the game to LaMelo. Uh, Spencer and Brian, before we get to the Q&A section, I want you guys to go ahead and do the same here with your player of the game. Yeah, I, I mean, Lamelo is a good one. I, I will say <laughs> I had like Willie Hernan Gomez uh, flashbacks in that game. I mean, when <laughs> when he was in the game, Lamelo was turning the corner like that defense is beyond flammable. Like that guy is just hopeless in pick and roll defense. So Lamelo getting into the paint so easily in that game. But Richie, like some of those passes he had were just sick. Like where that one, I think it was to Harrell uh, on the left side of the floor. He was coming off kind of a side pick and roll. Hernan Gomez is dropping. Lamelo is going straight to the rim. And I, I like had to rewind it three or four times to figure. Like there wasn't even like a launch angle on the pass. It was like here's the ball in his hand, and then it's just gone. <laughs> At full speed. I didn't even see his hand move. Like it was amazing pass from Lamelo and, and a really good game. I, I'm going with Miles Bridges uh, on player of the game. I just like his passing and we talked about his, his step back shooting, you know, getting into um, the next layer of his offensive bag. But I, I just remain so impressed by his passing uh, and how much that's improved this year. And that guy can he gets along the baseline and he can get it to the opposite corner or back to the top of the key with these laser bullet passes that allow Charlotte to really start popping the ball around. Um, and I think his, his vision's just really improving. Nine assists in this game. So I, I'm going with Bridges. I, I thought this is one of his more complete basketball games that I've seen in, in a while. And it's been a great season for him. Yeah, it's a t I think it's a toss-up between those two, even though plenty of, you know, Terry had a good game and Harold played well, blah, blah, blah. Cody played well. But those, look, Miles and LaMelo are the two most important players, and, and they both were, were pretty awesome in this game. And I'm glad you, we touched on Bridges, like, as a – passer when he's like driving baseline and he can kind of open up and see the cold, whole the full court he's so good at making those diagonal skips when he's like driving right and he can just like yeah i mean he can either see guys and scan and get into them or like he obviously has gotten very good at like hanging in the air and making like what looked to be like really difficult passes um and still being able to pick out weak side shooters and in cutters I'll, I'll go with bridges again I just thought his playmaking uh, at times when they spread it out and let him be the primary ball handler, that stuff is really interesting to me. Um, and he's gotten a lot of reps doing it this year. And uh, anyways, yeah, monster game for Bridges. His stat line was, was obviously sick. Nine of 15 shooting, 26 points, four three-pointers, four or five from the line, nine assists, steal, eight rebounds. Yeah, they were plus 27 with him on the court. 
Um, I'll go with Bridges, but um, it's it's close. I would almost pick Lamelo for this too. All right, let's get to the Q and A section. Uh, question number one comes from Matt S. He basically says they have to sign IT for the rest of the season, right? He's been a really great addition. And, and Spencer, this is what you were hinting at earlier in the podcast about whether or not after this second 10-day contract, because you can't sign a third 10-day contract, uh, it's going to expire around, I think, the March 23rd game against the Knicks. Uh, and there would still be about like 10 more games left in the season. So they would have to sign him for the rest of the season if they want to keep his services. I think that not only... Should they sign him for the rest of the season? I think the Hornets will sign him for the rest of the season. And uh, I think that his presence on this team as a scorer, um, as a backup point guard player, and also a guy that could potentially pair with LaMelo at times. I know that sometimes the defense gets a little hairy when both of them are out on the court together. I think that's great and all, but I think his presence in the locker room, it seems as though that he's a very vocal guy and he's clearly been there before. And I think that goes a long way for a a team like the Hornets because the Hornets do have some veterans on the team like uh, Plumlee and Hayward, but those two don't seem as vocal, which is fine. Like you can lead by example, but I think we've seen like clips and stuff like that where IT is just very, very heavily involved when it comes to vocally being there in the huddle. And, uh, you know, the Hornets have one spot left, so why not? Like, you know, just keep them for the rest of the year, uh, see how that pans out. And, and like we mentioned earlier, it was interesting to see him and LaMelo on Friday night playing together. So it's not just one of those things where they have to stagger their minutes completely. Um, it'll it'll kind of force LaMelo to be an off-ball mover, something we've said could be a big development piece for him uh, as his game is moving forward. So, uh, Spencer, you kind of hinted at this, so I'll throw it to you first. But I, I think I know where you're going with this answer. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely think IT should be signed for the rest of the season. You know, I've, I've thought a lot about, you know, his role in this team and, and what kind of role he could play uh, in a theoretical playoff series. But, you know, you brought up the kind of the, the the veteran presence. I do think that stuff's important. I do think it gets overlooked, especially on a team like Charlotte. Um, you know, it, this just happened at the right time. I, I think we were seeing a team that was almost ready to let go of the rope here. Um, you know, the, it, the things were really starting to get tough. And so to have a guy come in, just a little bit of an offensive shot in the arm, uh, w- when shots weren't falling in, in that veteran presence, I think is really important. I think that what the Hornets really want to do is they want to play faster. IT is not necessarily going to help you there. Maybe it's a trailer on the wing, uh, catch and shoot. But I think when stuff slows down, uh, he is really and playing with LaMelo when stuff slows down, when you need to execute in the half court, getting LaMelo off the ball a little bit more is probably not a bad thing, you know, for this offense, letting IT dominate the basketball more play and pick and roll, um, make those decisions and, and kind of open the floor up for LaMelo as a cutter, as a second side driver. You know, I think that could really benefit this offense down the stretch. So I totally think that, that it is going to be, is going to be signed for the rest of the season for the Hornets. Um, and like, I've seen some pushback, like, well, what is he giving the defense at this point? Like the Hornets are leaning all the way into offense. Okay. Like, you know, they're going to junk it up as much as they can on the defensive end. Like I said earlier, I, I would anticipate you, you're going to see a lot more zone in a playing game and in a playoff potential playoff series. And look, the, the offense was drying up. It was uh, the shots were not falling, and it comes in immediately shooting like 43 percent from beyond the arc on almost five attempts a game. Like 
Charlotte has to lean all the way into that. Um, and if he can provide anything for the half-court offense, it's kind of a pound-the-rock generator when the game slows down. I think, again, I think that could be super, super important for Charlotte's offense. So, yeah, I mean, it's a no-brainer. Sign him for the rest of the season. Yeah, he just, uh, you know, it's like when you're trying to fill out a roster in early March or late February, you're scrambling uh, to hang on to any sort of like postseason hopes that you that you, you thought you had, you don't get to be you know you 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 just have to take what, what's available. And um, so yeah, like I mean, anyone who's watched Isaiah Thomas knows about like yeah, he's going to be a target for teams to go at. He, I don't know if he's playable in the playoffs because of that at times. Um, but they needed a veteran and they needed ball handling. And we know how valuable, like how much Ish Smith had helped them. Um, obviously, he was part of the deal that brought in Montrez Harrell. Um, you know, he and Isaiah Thomas are not—they're not identical. They're in fact, they're—they're they're pretty different offensive players. And Spencer just touched on, like, sort of like the difference in, in speed between Isaiah and maybe how some of the other guards on this roster want to play. But he shot the ball really well. I liked. Admittedly, New Orleans not playing with a full roster uh, the other night on Friday, but I really liked some of the stuff that LaMelo and Isaiah got to together, as I mentioned earlier in the pod in the, in the second quarter. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a no-brainer. He's clearly, like, respected by a lot of guys in the league. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago that he was an all-star caliber, you know, sort of like, you know, heliocentric uh, guard for the Celtics before everything got turned over to, you know, Tatum and, and Brown there. Um, but yeah, so he's had an incredible career and uh, it's, it's cool. Like it's cool to have him in, you know, I mean, I just think it speaks to the fact that like they were so starved for another person that could like run, pick and roll and shoot off the dribble. And again, maybe just because like he's wearing number four, which is Devontae's old number and they just played against the Pelicans and it was just, look, before the season, uh, I don't think I was alone in sort of having these concerns. In fact, I, I'm certain both of you guys said, said this just as, as frequently as I did. But, like, I was surprised to see that people thought the Hornets had, like, upgraded the roster in this offseason when they lost Devontae. And it was just like, how this guy is, like, I know he's limited offensively. I know there's certain stuff that he just, like, cannot do. He cannot score at the rim. He doesn't really get into the paint. But this, the, the pull-up shooting, which is, you know, hit or miss, he's at least willing to take them. And just, like, the, the spot-up shooting and the, the, the pick-and-roll passing, even though he can't get downhill, I don't know. It's like you lost Devontae and, and Monk. So, like, yeah, you had to find – like, that's, those are – you lost, like, legit ball – like, NBA ball handlers, like guys that are good guards, good offensive guards. Anything to get Charlotte to differentiate a little bit, not have it be just like, you know, empty corner pick and roll with Lamelo and Plumlee or Lamelo and Harold. And I mean, look, Charlotte does a nice job. I think moving from that and flowing into, you know, they'll immediately get into the middle and then flow to a second side DHO with Rozier. And like they, they do, like they, it, cool stuff comes out of that. But I think anything to sort of like spice up the offense and add a little bit more variety even as simple as like having LaMelo start the possession off the ball, then launch into a ball handling duties, I think is good. And, and 
Isaiah, at least for now, is is a bridge to doing that. So I don't think it's going to be like a long marriage, but uh, certainly it makes sense. I think to have him around for the uh, the rest of the season. What else would you do? Like right, what right. What, what yeah. else would you do with the right. roster spot? Right. Like you know, like they have a spot available. They need a they need a veteran. They need a ball handler. But like, <laughs> if you could name another point guard that would be would be better than this, like. I'm sure yeah. there are comparable guys, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it is what it is. And to Spencer's point, like, yeah, maybe he not, he doesn't bring it on the defensive side of the court, but neither is one singular player going to come in and, and change that side of no. the court. So it, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. 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 Why couldn't the Hornets just go out and get Drew Holiday or Marcus Small? Like, yeah. like you know, like these, like, like these kinds of like defensive players just like aren't available right now. And, uh, yeah, they're going all in on offense. Like the Herald trade yeah. signified that too. Exactly. Yeah. If, if, I think if, you, if the Hornets were like, if defense was actually a priority for them this season, you would have seen them address it at the deadline. Like instead they leaned into offense and this is further proof. Look, I, I think that Vernon Carey and Ishmith for Montrez Harrell and, and Isaiah Thomas, still a pretty good deal in my eyes. Cause that's effectively, <laughs> you know, what, what it was now. I mean, that, that's pretty good business. It does. It does also, and we'll be able to talk about this a ton once the season's over with. But um, this off season, you know, and like no matter, just like something, the, the defense has to be addressed. Yep. Because you just you yeah. cannot, you cannot. There's just no way you can look at this roster. And I, I mean, like it means you've got to like you've got to probably change pieces of it around. But also, like the mentality has just got to be different um you know richie yeah. when you and i had and we we did the pod with jackson frank a couple weeks ago and he said something to me that like uh, i think for us because we watch every hornets game and we think about the league through this like very like purple and teal colored lens that when you talk to someone who has more of like a national perspective and for for that for someone like that to say like yeah they play a defense that in his eyes looks similar to like Oklahoma City or Houston these teams that are just like full of you know twenty year olds and are not trying to win it's like that is that is a that is a problem and it speaks to again something that we've also noticed that just like uh, the verve that they bring to that side of the court is often lacking the scheme is the personnel is not great the scheme is what it is. But there's just like a mentality aspect of it that's just completely lacking. I mean, I feel like for two seasons now, the entire like like mentality on defense has been like, how quickly can we get back to offense? Like, let's either get a steal or have the other team score, score quickly. Yeah. Just like we can, we can have the, we would like to have the ball again, please. Um, <laughs> and I just like, I, I don't know, man. Like, that's just if, if you want to take this team seriously then like something's gotta be, I'm not saying they have to like go out and become a top 10 defense. Like that's like not realistic, but like it, they just can't be like a cat chasing a laser pointer. You know what I mean? Like they just, they've, they've got to become more solid on that side of the court. And like, that's not going to be easy to do by the way, with the LaMelo Terry Rozier backcourt. Um, what I, the last thing, the last thing I would do want to say about that is, there are, we'll get into this more when we talk more on the draft. There are some guys that I think could end up being like in the Hornets range. I, I know that like the dreaded late lottery spot is again, but uh, Jeremy Sohan at Baylor, 
I love him as a prospect. I think he could be a kind of the kind of guy that could help them out. Tari Eason at LSU, um, maybe even Jabari Walker from Colorado. But I just I look out and I do see some of these like hybrid forward types where I'm like, wow, that guy actually could help Charlotte's defense. They, I think there's a way for them to add a wing defender if they end up drafting at like you know 11 or whatever again. So that's like I guess a small bit of good news. But they, they need this thing needs to be like completely. Uh, stripped down and reworked. Yeah. I mean, yeah, quickly, because I know we're going to get to a few more questions, but just had some general thoughts about this defensive thing. I mean, I, you guys have it. I, I just, the effort level is, like Brian said, cat chasing a laser pointer. It's just like, I, I don't know. Like, that stuff seems like an easy fix to me. Uh, I do think that the, there's a bridge to. A, a respectable NBA defense that's not that far away with the personnel that's on the roster currently. Like, but it all depends on how quickly is JT Thor and Kai Jones ready to play real NBA minutes. I mean, I think we've seen some really impressive things from from Thor this season. He's obviously got a long way to go, a long way to go offensively. But like, you know, Kai Jones could be a real difference maker on that side of the floor, especially in the scheme that that Charlotte wants to play. But uh, you know, again, how how quickly is that guy going to be ready to play NBA minutes? But those are two like very versatile defensive pieces that are already rostered. And let's just say hypothetically, those guys are in the rotation next year. They're ready to play, and the Hornets are able to add a, you know, two other wingy, switchy, versatile wing prospects through the draft. Uh, hopefully, if they get that Pell's pick, you know, they, they get two of those guys somewhere in the middle of the first round. Like, they can patch it together around LaMelo and Rozier <clears throat> to a point where I do think they can come up with an average NBA defense and we potentially aren't that far away from it. But at one point, like, is that side of the floor going to matter? Like w- w- when is it actually going to matter to these guys? And, you know, that's, that's where like free agency gets interesting in terms of, you know, no more Kelly Oubre types. Like, Kelly Oubre's played a serviceable role for the Hornets this year, and he's hit some shots, and he's done some really nice things. But, like, that guy could could give a damn about that, that end of the floor, uh, which is really a shame because he's got all the physical tools. Like, you just – you have to be a little bit more strategic in what kind of players that you're bringing in if defense is going to be a priority either through the draft or free agency, and I, I think it should be in free agency. So, anyways, that, those were kind of some rambling thoughts, but – had to give my my defensive frustration vent. It, it, it does also. I mean, we'll see what they what happens with Cody Martin. Yep, yep, and and Jalen McDaniel's. Yeah, who, uh, both hit like the teams. You know, their two best perimeter defenders probably. And uh, yeah, guys, I think McDaniel's is should be a priority. Yeah, I, I think McDaniel's should be a priority to be back. Uh, Martin. Yeah, you know, Martin's he's he's really developed nicely in Charlotte and has helped the offense at times when, I mean, I think the New Orleans game was kind of example one. A, I think he's more replaceable on what this team needs right now than a guy like McDaniels. I, I don't know what you guys think, but I would be more, I would be trying to get McDaniels back first. I think. Is that like, is that like a size like length thing that he could maybe be? Exactly. Like, I just like, for yeah, for when you just consider like, all right, league average, maybe a little bit better than that. Like defensively is kind of our ceiling. Like, you just can't have enough of those guys. I mean, no roster can, you know, but I think McDaniels has shown enough. He's always going to be a string bean. You know, he's going to get knocked off his spots offensively, just going to limit what he can do outside of just being a catch and shoot guy. But he's had some defensive moments, not only this season, the last few seasons, yeah. just yeah. being able to move his feet, stay in front of the ball, 
make plays at the rim, like fight for rebound. I just, I really like his mindset on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah. And yeah. if, if he can get just a little stronger, like, man, it yeah. would really go a long way for him. He's already a pretty good, like on ball defender, but certainly if he got stronger, that would go a long, long way. And then, yeah, like I love McDaniels, like the like weak side rim protection flashes are, are like super intrig- intriguing with him. Um, Cody's defense to me is like, can be good, but it's sort of more like hustle based, which is like, not like a bad thing. Um, that's half the battle, right? Like, it's, it's just more like, it's more like he makes like, he makes like, he'll, like he's more likely to like, in my mind, this is like a bad comparison, but it's like Cody's more likely to get like a 50, 50 ball than he is to like, you know, shut down a top perimeter option. You know what I mean? It's just like, he has certain strengths defensively. Um, and I think a lot of them are like, he's athletic, obviously, but a, a lot of it is sort of more like hustle winning play type stuff, as opposed to like, Oh, he's just like a pure, like, you know, plus level impact defender, but look like they committed to an extent they've committed to Lamelo and Rozier as the backboard, right? Like this Rozier extension, it's got some ears on it and, um, they're going to have to find some like, Hey, those guys are going to have to, defend better this gets back to the mentality aspect of it they're gonna have to find ways to bring more wing defender athletes into charlotte like they're just they're gonna have to do it it does look like thor is a guy that can eventually get there i've I've enjoyed what he's done defensively this season but uh but yeah like they just they're they're lacking and they're gonna have to find ways to squeeze more defense out of the forward positions as long as they are committed to the the like rosier as lamello's partner in the backcourt on the uh, the difference between Cody Martin and Jalen McDaniels to me, I think that Cody Martin comes in with this like solid floor. You know what you're getting out of him. I think Jalen McDaniels has that higher ceiling defensively and has the ability to switch across more positions and, and ultimately could probably do a little bit more than Cody Martin on that end of the court. Uh, but at least with Cody, you know what you're getting on both ends. And uh, we'll, we'll have to move on to this next question here from Mason. It's a uh, Fairly uh, long one here, a little bit of a buildup. He says, what's up, guys? Been a while since I've chimed in at all, but the pods have been a blessing on my train commute to work during the week. Not sure when you guys are going to record next, but would love to hear what you guys think about the best skill for LaMelo to pick up to have a jump that actually makes him a fringe superstar. In my mind, it's a weight room slash physicality thing at the rim for him, but I've always loved to hear your insight on, on LaMelo and you guys provide that. So, um, I think we've talked about this before in terms of like, you know, some of the developmental pieces for LaMelo, but I guess he's trying to pinpoint one specific skill that if he were to develop this in the next couple of years, that would take him to this fringe superstar tier. And I I think I've mentioned this before on the pod, but I, I agree with him. I do think that strength and at the rim or just strength in general is, is important for him. But I'm actually going to go with a pull-up mid-range shot that's actually serviceable, and it's not just a floater. I, I think his three-point shot and his visionary passing uh, will take him you know, a long way. But to have like that counter to the way that defenses play him in the pick-and-roll, and a lot of times the pick-and-roll defense, they're, they're trying to take away that lob because he can, he can pass it with the best of them, right? Like so... He, he needs to have a counter to that. And so if he could just kind of stop his momentum, pull up on a dime and hit that 15 footer. And I think he did have one against the Pelicans game, but it almost felt like he was drifting towards the hoop, almost like his, his floater. 
I think that's one area in which if he develops that, he does go into that category or could go into that category of a fringe superstar. Like there's plenty of things over the years that he's going to have time to develop on the margins. And I I do have a high level of confidence that this guy over the years will turn into this perennial all-star. And I think he'll be a, you know, if he, if he were never add anything else, I think he's going to be a a good player, but I think something like a pull-up mid-range shot would go a long way for LaMelo. Uh, Spencer, what about you? What's that one skill you think is, is the next step for him? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. The, the decision-making while in the air is a tough, yeah. <laughs> it's a tough skill to perfect because you, you've really yeah, minimized what, what can happen from there. Uh, I, I just think it's, you know, getting a little stronger, uh, becoming more efficient, finishing at the rim. You know, he's going to be able to get there uh, a lot throughout his career, it, you know, and I think the more willing he is to play through contact, um, you know, finish around the basket and, you know, get to the foul line more. I mean, I think that's going to be, that's going to be key for LaMelo. Uh, he's only going to see more and more defensive attention, you know, in the paint and at the rim as, as these years progress. So yeah, I think it's strength and um, certainly just decision-making in that area, but, but really uh, being able to play through contact more. I mean, I, I think adding that is, is key for him. Yeah. He's already such a good player. Um, but it's you can just see so there's so many different ways you can see him improving that would help further unlock the unique special portions of the game that we we see every night with him. Like obviously he's a brilliant player and and just is is unique, one of truly one of a kind. Um, you know, thirty two percent on pull up, thirty point shooting this season. It'd be lovely if he could ever get that into like the mid to high thirties. So I think that that's some of it. And he, he gets enough shots up that I think teams have to at least honor it. But, um, you know, with LaMelo, I always think about what is he doing when teams are counter, are dropping and when and or teams are going like or, or going underneath screens too, you know. So like either they're dropping and, and fighting over the top or they're going under the screen. What's LaMelo doing? And, and this gets into like where like I think his like getting stronger – and adding more variety in the mid range would go a long, long way. I think to be clear, like I think Miles Bridges needs to add. I said this a week or so ago on the pod. I think Bridges even needs a little bit more mid range variety because, like he, yes. Miles doesn't. Miles doesn't shoot from like eighteen feet, and like generally that's okay. Um, but I think late in the game, Charlotte's crunch time offense when things really bogged down. Um, you know, Lamelo and. Lamelo and, and Miles are the two that usually have the ball in their hands. Like maybe, maybe Terry, and uh, neither Lamelo or Miles can really score from you know you dribbling off a ball screen into like a long mid range two. And like that's maybe like not you know I know those, I know those aren't the shots that like you're you know trying to you know coach players to like take or whatever, but they do matter for like, for like situational offense. And that's sort of what I'm thinking of. So if I had to pick one thing, I guess I would say strength because I want, <clears throat> I want LaMelo to be better turning the corner in pick and roll and finishing at the rim. So I think strength would go a long way there, but certainly like adding even more like um, efficiency in the pull-up game would help with that as well. And, and Richie, you brought up a great. Like I, I agree with everything uh, about you know Lamelo needing to to add like a legit pull-up 
jump shot to his game as opposed to everything being a floater or a runner. Like it's awesome that he can do that. And again, it's one of the reasons why he's, he's unique, but um, I'll say strength because I think he needs that more at the point of attack on both sides. And as far as it means, like what it means as a tool to get uh, better uh, bits of rim pressure too. All right, we're going to wrap on this topic. It's it's a polarizing topic here on Hornets Twitter, and it concerns James Borrego and his performance or his future. I'm gonna I'm gonna end it, so I'll I'll leave it with you, BG or Spencer, to start this off. Like, what first off, what is your evaluation of JB so far throughout his tenure here in Charlotte? Uh, maybe chances that he's back next year. How much of the blame should be centered on him versus? you know, other factors. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think the defense is well documented. I, I think we'd all like to see more progress on that side of the ball. Um, at this point, it's been a consistent struggle. It seems like for JB to inspire, you know, this team on that end, I, I, I kind of default to, I don't, I'm not sure how the expectation level has gone from man. It'd be nice to have a chance to get in the play in or playoffs with an extremely young team. Albeit, I get it a budding superstar, but I just don't know how, because it, it feels like the expectations have become, you know, this is a team that should be competing in the Eastern Conference. Like, you know, we're we're not there yet. <laughs> I think that should be pretty clear. I think JB has shown improvement in terms of being, or he's proven himself in terms of being able to develop players. I mean, go look down this roster, Miles Bridges, LaMelo Ball already, guys like Cody Martin, Jalen McDaniels. I mean, the list goes on. This guy, he's got a system that that players buy into and get better and improve in. I think that's almost the ultimate point of grading a coach. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know really like what he's supposed to be doing in terms of win losses right now to earn the, the respect of Hornets fans. Um, but, it, you know, it, it does feel like a lot of people want him out of town. I, I think JB has a system. I think he's instilled something, a culture rather, in Charlotte – are there improvements that need to be made? Yes, but you know this isn't this isn't a, a rudderless vessel here. Okay, like th- this team has a path. Uh, they know how they want to play. They have an identity. They have a guy that they know can take them there. And I, you know, I, I just if, if not him, then who? What is it that you want this team to bring in in terms of a coach that that makes all this home correctly? Um, I mean, I think most of us feel it. I, I'll just come on and say it. This, this is a little mellow ball effect, too. Like, it just is. Like, you know, the Hive, had, for whatever reason, has decided that, you know, James Brago's holding this guy back. Uh, I couldn't disagree with that more. But that feels like what's driving this. Whatever. It, that's not surprising. But I think JB's come in. He's instilled a culture. He's improved this team every single year. He's developed players. I think, you know, it seems like these guys respect him. Like, what else is it that we want out of a coach? Like, I'm sorry. Like, our star is 22 years old. Like, he's we're not going to win. 20. He's 20. He's, well, he's right. 20 Miles years Bridges. Old. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, Miles, yeah. I was the oldest, you know, fringe star we have on this yeah. team. So, it's like, I, I just, I don't know what else it is that we want at this juncture. But it seems like more. Uh, anyways, I'm rambling. Yeah. I digress. BG, jump in. I, I think James Brago, I'd if I could sit down and say, here's what needs to happen moving forward, you know, if I'm the GM, uh, but we also want to extend you, like I'd be ready to sign him up for longer right now. I think he's done a great job in Charlotte. 
Yeah, I do think I think some of the the expectations being elevated also has to do with um, a couple of things. One, just sort of like some of the some not all, but some of the rosters roster decisions the front office has made, like signing Gordon Hayward. And look, we've we've relitigated that decision too many times to even count. I'm sure we'll do it. Several more dozen times before that, that contract is you know, gone from Charlotte. Like ultimately, though, um, you know they were just bringing in a good basketball player. Like at the end of the day, um, but I do think sometimes you do stuff like that, and then people think, well, you're no longer trying to like do this like slow build, right? That there's not enough tolerance for pain here to to, to to be to be this kind of bad again for another season, even though they're like basically like constantly ending up in the same spot. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like being projected for like the, you know, the 10th best lottery odds or whatever. Um, and I do think some of it too is sort of this, like to it, not lazy necessarily, but just this, like um, the notion of like MJ as an owner of just like, Oh, he'll just do anything to get into the playoffs. You know what I mean? when, when you know he'll do any, he'll make any short-term decision he, he can to to just make sure that this team is going to get the eighth seed. And it's like, as we have also discussed on this on this podcast, it's like two things can be true. It's like you can say that, like, yeah, they sort of like short-circuited some of the high-end uh, ways to like build this roster around Lamelo based off of what they did with the the rest of the 2020 offseason and then the 2021 offseason, like bringing in Hayward extending Terry Rozier. You could have done those things differently, but it's also like you can look at how they handled the trade deadline in each of the last two seasons, not willing to like mortgage much in terms of future assets to, to sort of like, like slightly better their playoff odds or whatever. So I just think, but I just think that that became such like a punchline. I don't think that has like totally dissipated yet, basically. So I know this question is about Borrego, but I do think that those are two of the other factors that play into the the mentality of like, oh, is Charlotte like underachieving by being ninth in the East or whatever? And it's like that's this is like probably kind of the roster they have, you know. Um, they also lost Devontae Graham and Malik Monk in the offseason. Like the, they were going to feel that. Um, we said it at the, at the time. But, yeah, I think overwhelmingly, like for the most part, like I, I like – I agree with everything Spencer said about Borrego. He's brought in an offensive system that's connected and flowing. And yeah, Charlotte looks unique on that side of the court too. It's not just because of LaMelo. It's how the ball pops from side to side and how they flow from ghost screen into a slip, into a dribble handoff and then into an empty corner pick and roll. Like it it looks, it really is good, good stuff on that side of the court. I, I genuinely like it a lot. Don't love some of the lineup combinations he goes with at times and don't necessarily like how uh, sometimes like the young guys get managed. But I don't think like if you're ready to play, like he'll play you, you know what I mean? But just like I even think back to the 2018, 2019 season about like Malik Monk getting buried, you know what I mean? During the stretch of that season when like maybe he probably should have been playing a little bit more. But for the most part, I think Borrego is like one of the better after timeout coaches in the NBA. That's not like really an easy thing to measure, but I think the Hornets do a good job in terms of that. I think this is a creative team. I agree with Spencer as far as like laying some sort of like foundational culture for whatever it's worth. Like LaMelo seems to like him. Like 
you know, more so than, you know, I mean, I know a lot of like LaMelo fans want to make it seem like those guys don't like one another or that, you know, he's holding LaMelo back. But for the most part, I actually think like Borrego has like, you know, they're, they're like, they're, they're a marriage that actually works pretty well just based on how JV wants to play on offense. And, and the fact that he's like, you know, he's not some like gruff old school coach, you know what I mean? Like he'll let, he like LaMelo is like empowered to like make mistakes and try stuff. I don't know. There's some stuff that needs to be improved, but yeah, overall, I think like, I think Brago is like a, I don't know if he's a top 10 coach in the NBA, but middle of the pack. Yeah. That, that seems, to, that seems like a relatively fair assessment. So, and he's never had like a full deck of cards to work with. I'd love to see what he looks like when he's actually, Handed a roster that you can like, you can reasonably say this team projects to win like forty-five to fifty games. He's never had that before, so I'll be curious and, to see when, even when they get to that point. And just one last thought on this: I, I just think there's like something to be said for. I mean, if it's not completely broken, which obviously it isn't in 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 this case, like I think there's something to be said with sticking, like sticking with something, like yeah. believing in something, committing to it with a young roster a young budding coach. He's not perfect, but you know, no one's ever said that, but you just don't see that often really much anymore, certainly on this level. And I think it's even more important in a market like Charlotte, you know, where you do have a lot of young players, up and coming players that you're going to have to resign. And this is a small market, you know, we're not, we're not going to, we're not LA. Like we can't just jump from coach to coach um, and go get, you know, a new star to come in here and write the ship. Like this is, we're pretty much looking at the team. Right. Yeah. mellow ball. Like we're, we're going to fill in spots here and there via free agency in the draft. But like these are the guys that we have to bank on to get us to that next level. And I, you know, I, I think there could be a lot to be said five or six years down the road from now with James Borrego still in that seat and saying we we, we looked at the long term picture. Right. Yeah. Not what we hoped was happening in terms of win losses when LaMelo ball was 20 years old. Like we actually saw down the road and. I I would be leaning into that. I, I'm actually pretty hopeful that Michael Jordan probably is, but it is frustrating to to see. You know, it, it's really cool to see a Hornets community growing because God knows it's taken a long time for that to happen. Yeah. But it is it is very frustrating to me to see that same community ready to jump ship so quickly. But hey, that's that's part of growing pains, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to butt in, Richie, but just like. It's also worth noting with Borrego, like the goalposts have changed multiple times since he got here. You know, he gets here and Kemba Walker is still here. Like he, it, it this, 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 this team has changed over like three different times. You know what I mean? Like Kemba's last year to the, to the, the year, the 2019, 2020 season where it's like, Hey, just see what you got with these guys. Like you're going to start, you're going to, you, we signed, we got Terry here and, Maybe there's something with Devontae Graham. We just drafted PJ, but like that team played about as well as they could have played that season. I think Brago gets some credit for that. And then, then you bring in LaMelo and like, it's a whole other experiment. You know what I mean? And now it's LaMelo, but without like the safety net of Devontae Graham and Malik Monk also in there as well. Like you just, you're down some ball handlers. And so, yeah, I just, I, I, again, I give him some credit for sort of like adapting because I think, Obviously, the team like wants to win basketball games. Like that's never changed. But I think each and every year he's been given like a different 
it, it's like a different roster to an extent. And like the, the way, the method, the ways towards like achieving those goals have been different each and every year. And so I think there's some like adaptability that probably goes like undersold with Borrego as well. Sorry for interrupting Richie. No, I, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. And the only thing that I'll say is that if, if Borrego happens to be fired this off season, which I don't predict is going to be the case, like I don't think it's going to be based off of necessarily his performance. I think it's like this idea that this team needs some kind of like reset or refresh to get things going next year. I don't necessarily agree with that statement or think that needs to happen. Uh, but if you want to make that argument, that's fine. If you want to make the argument that it's because of his performance, I, I just can't, I can't get with that side of the argument. It's all about expectations. Like you guys mentioned, I think the past two seasons have gone fairly, fairly similar, like kind of eerily the same in terms of strong start injuries with the small room for error. And then the momentum of this team just stalls out in the last half of the season and I think that's why the expectations kind of go up and down and fluctuate so much because of the hot start. And if you're expecting this team without Hayward to be a top six team, uh, I, I think you've got it wrong. There, there's a personnel issue too that uh, the way that this roster is constructed, Borrego can only do so much with that. So, uh, real, yeah. real quickly, do the people like the Lamelo fans, uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm making a straw man here, so forgive me, but like. If it is true that like there is this contingent of Hornets slash Lamelo fans that think James Borrego is holding Lamelo back, why do they think that, and what would they like to see done differently? Like, yeah. like he's I been given the, he's yeah. been given the keys and like un, almost unlimited creative freedom, right? Like, what yeah. more, he's, more could you want? You know, and he's an, and he's an all star in his second season. I, I yeah, I mean, it's not like the guy has played bad under Borrego. He's played great. He's he's yeah. outkicked his coverage <laughs> yeah. in terms of expectations. I think for a lot of people, yeah, I agree. And that's the answer you can't get, BG. It's okay if not this, then what? And you know, and that seems to be where well. It, it, it kind of it gets radio silent. I agree. He's been great, and having Lamelo probably become like a litmus test. I think for Borrego and Lamelo certainly will be: can Lamelo pick up his effort level on the defensive end, and you know, can he become more of a, a, a leader? You know, a, a guy yeah. that can can yeah. get through his team through adversity because that that's going to come. Like that's going to be to me that'll be the litmus test for Borrego long term. But anyway, yeah, yeah. All right, let's go ahead and wrap here. Uh, if you guys tuned in late, the full podcast version will be out Monday morning. And as always, go give us a rating and review on Apple Podcast and Spotify. That's the best way to help us. For Spencer and for Brian, I am Richie. Have a great one, and we will talk to you guys later.